Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Talking Point. Uh, it is a Monday evening, and of course, it's uh, 7.42. We are uh, uh, hoping to get hold of uh, Michael O'Brien Onyika, who is uh, Executive Director of Greenpeace in Africa. And we're speaking about Greenpeace this evening now. Obviously, you've seen uh, Greenpeace reflected in the movies so many times um, in terms of an organization that fights for, you know, uh, the nature and fights for the world, uh, for, for the preservation of our natural resources and for a clean environment so obviously uh, this organization has been in, 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 in existence for around about 40 years and we will be to get uh, just a little bit of detail and background in terms of you know the 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 the, the, the our goals and objectives of Greenpeace beyond our understanding and also some of the projects that they are involved with particularly in Africa as we know that Africa also uh, on a regular basis is being you know um, used uh, as as a means to generate uh, in clean uh, to generate uh, energy we know nuclear energy is uh, something that's uh, also been an issue in Africa uh, the extraction of um, you know minerals and uh, fossil fuels from the oceans as well as from uh, as from uh, mines and so on and so forth within the African continent and all of these have have, have uh, affected negatively not only the environment uh, contributed to soil soil erosion and to a vast number of other factors uh, which of course uh, uh, it brings us closer and closer to climate change uh, so we gonna be, we were hoping to chat to Michael O'Brien Onyika just around um, you know particularly Africa what makes this continent different in the challenges that it faces uh, as Greenpeace sees it and how they are tackling some of the challenges uh, within the African continent but uh, we'll try and get hold of him very, very shortly inshallah but in the meantime I'll just read you a piece of their website uh, and this is on the the page speaking about who Greenpeace is now Greenpeace exists because this fragile earth deserves a voice it needs solutions it needs change it needs action Greenpeace is an independent global uh, campaigning organization that acts to change att- attitudes and behavior to protect and conserve the environment and to, mo- to promote peace and well to give us more of the detail I've just spoken about uh, we do have online Michael O'Brien uh, Onika who is the executive director of Greenpeace Africa Michael good evening and welcome to Talking Point Hello, good evening, and uh, good evening to your listeners. Uh, Michael, uh, first of all, once, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for joining us, and it's an honour to be speaking to someone who is an activist, a modern-day activist for the environment uh, and for for our natural resources as a whole. Uh, firstly, uh, just I've read a little bit of the background, but just take us through a broad, broader idea of exactly who Greenpeace is, but particularly Greenpeace in Africa. Um, uh, Greenpeace Africa. Um, thank you very much. Uh, Greenpeace started uh, in the early late 60s and was formally established in the early 70s, around 71, 72. Uh, basically, starting off as a peacemaking organization, fighting against uh, testing of nuclear weapons, atomic weapons by the French, the Americans, the Russians, and then progressed to preserving the marine species in the oceans, like fighting against whale uh, hunting and so on. In Africa, uh, the office in Africa was established in 2008, and uh, we have four major programs protecting the oceans, uh, pushing for ecological agriculture, protecting the Congo Basin forest, and promoting renewable energy and end to fossil fuel energy in Southern Africa. Now, uh, if we look at, um, you know, the, the Greenpeace, uh, 
people have always seen uh, Greenpeace as an organization, you know, that, uh, uh, to put painted, uh, you know, in, in another way, people say, oh, people would always say these are tree huggers, you know, hippies that uh, tend to, you know, uh, uh, look at preserving plants and trees and whatever. But uh, mm. um, just speak to us around the importance of this organization and some of the successes, the, the, the successes they've achieved, those huge milestones that you could, could perhaps talk about. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, people might be right. We are proudly tree huggers. <laughs> um, because uh, trees, as we know, are the lungs of the planet. Uh, trees uh, taking excess uh, CO2 that we produce and give us oxygen. So doing a double job. And I don't think the trees are getting enough recognition and compensation for the <laughs> hard work they're doing. But also... Interestingly, in our amazing civilized way of behavior, and I put that sarcastically, we've been cutting trees at the rate of one football pitch per minute around the world. And in the context of increasing CO2 emission, you would even think that humans are in a, in a massive race for collective suicide. You know, we are pumping CO2, excess CO2 into the atmosphere, and the trees that could have mops a lot of that up. We are cutting down at the rate of one football pitch per minute, which then means that the Earth has been forced to push this CO2, uh, SSCO2 to the ocean. So you see acidification of the ocean. So it makes sense that we encourage uh, tree planting and zero deforestation uh, moving forward. And that's why we are tree huggers. The fight is not for the preservation of the planet. Let me make that clear to your listeners. The planet doesn't need saving. It survived the age of the dinosaurs perfectly well. The way question is whether humans will survive the catastrophic change as a result of climate change that is coming if we don't change course and change course immediately. So we are in the business of actually helping humans to survive, not the planet. But in, in doing that, we need to protect biodiversity, we need to encourage conservation, we need to encourage tree planting and so on. And we've recorded many successes. Um, but I must be blunt with you and honest. We are winning lots of battles, but we are losing the war. Because we are losing the war collectively as a human race, the fight against uh, dilapidating climate change. And it's not something that Greenpeace can win alone or should win alone. It's something that the state, the private sector, and the organized civil society, all citizens should come together because it's our collective survival that is at stake. So we are recommitting our energy and our resources to increase a fight for preservation of our way of life as humans. Um, today we are celebrating Africa Day, which of course is uh, also celebrating the um, launch and birth of the Organization of African Unity back in the 1960s. Um, mm -hmm. Now looking speci specifically at Africa, um, the continent which we uh, um, were born on, we were raised on, uh, would you, what would you say are some of the challenges that are unique to Africa that Greenpeace is currently um, uh, facing in terms of uh, trying to preserve um, you know, the, 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 the way of life from a natural from a point of nature what are some of the challenges facing greenpeace in africa uh, we have several um we have several and uh, let us be clear the whole world is facing the same challenges but it's 
particularly unique in Africa in the sense that, for example, if you look at our population, we have about 1.2 uh, billion uh, since 2010 as a continent. 75% of people in this continent rely on agriculture one way or the other for their livelihood. 75%, that's a lot of number. Now, majority of ag the agricultural practices in this continent are done by smallholder farmers through rain-fed agriculture, river-fed agriculture. So in that context, when we talk about climate change, you can compute the huge impact on our agriculture and by extension, the majority of livelihood for majority of people in this continent. So with changing weather patterns, which you see all around us in South Africa, in East Africa, uh, it's affecting food production and our food security. And that is the first thing that people are suffering, uh, uh, insecurity of the food supply system. The second one is water. There is no alternative to water. Water is a precious commodity. And a lot of the lakes in Africa are drying up. You know, Lake Chad that supplies Nigeria, Niger, Chad Republic, and so on, has de depreciated by 30% in the last two decades. Lake Victoria has lost 75% of the fish stock. And that supplies the whole of East Africa. 75% of the fish stock disappeared. In, in Southern Africa here, uh, the Limpopo, the Orange River are all drying up. So that is why we are asking African governments to rethink the development model we are pursuing. Like in South Africa here, we are planning to build three new mega coal plants. On average, coal power plants use up 10,000 liters of fresh water per second. How can you be planning that in a water-scarce country? So it doesn't make sense. And so that's part of the thing. Greenpeace is pushing, look for alternative, vital alternatives, like a mix of renewable energy instead of pursuing a coal power energy that is a dead end. So these are some of the things we are hoping that the African Union, as part of the 2063 strategic vision, would really raise up the environmental consciousness of Africans and African leadership, because if we don't get it right, whatever we produce or develop, it's not going to work because uh, we won't be able to provide jobs. We won't be able to feed a doubled population by 2050. And that would be a, a recipe for serious disaster. The voice of Michael O'Brien Onyeka, uh, who is the executive director for Greenpeace Africa. At this point, we go for a break, and when we come back, we continue. You can stay tuned to 91.3 FM stereo. You can also send us SMS 47913. And Welcome back to Talking Point on the Voice of the Cape. It's uh, 7.53. We're still online with uh, uh, the director of uh, Greenpeace uh, here in uh, Africa, and that's, of course, uh, Mr. Michael uh, O'Brien Onyaka. Uh, we're still online with us. Uh, Michael, welcome back. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Michael, um, just the, jumping back into the discussion, if we look at uh, um, the environment, you are, I mean, we're always talking about uh, how, you know, the, the impact of the human human's uh, carbon footprint, the impact of, of, of humanity as our needs grow uh, and as our our uh, needs grow for fossil fuels and, uh, you know, for, 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 for uh, should I say, uh, trying to find it, uh, you know, as, as, as the, the resources become scarcer and scarcer, um, what would you say um, 
is there enough being done uh, from uh, from f- from a perspective f- f- from from the political perspective from uh, governments uh, around the world? Is there enough being done to research new ways of generating energy beyond the traditional forms, uh, uh, which obviously involve you know you you not so clean energies like uh, coal as well as the mm. dated nuclear um, energy that uh, is so being sought after at this point in time. Uh, thank you. I'm really glad you raised that because this is the bread and butter issue, as I prefer to call it. Because some uh, people think we are too idealistic as Greenpeace, but we are not. We're not naive. We want growth in South Africa, for example. But we are saying, if you build a coal power plant from the mining process to cleaning the coal to using it as energy, there is huge devastation that occurs. And when you consider that side by side with the tentative uh, returns, uh, monetary returns. It outweighs the dangers outweigh the returns. So it's not a sustainable pathway. So the South African government spends on average 2 billion rand a year treating respiratory-related illnesses, most of which arises from coal mining and coal power plants. Um, so those are the two costs of coal. When you add the impact on water, if you run out of water, you are not going to drink Coca-Cola or beer. It will not assuage your taste. So you start importing water like Japan at a very high cost. You, we need to have an inclusive growth strategy that says when we have a viable alternative like a mix of uh, solar, wind, and biodiesel, why are we pursuing an expensive dead end? The other one, like uh, nuclear. Nuclear, everybody says, is a magic bullet. But for all the noise that everyone makes about nuclear power, today it constitutes only 10% of global electricity output. If it's so great, many countries who can afford it, who don't consider the monetary aspect like Qatar, UAE, who have five years ago dropped the idea of going nuclear, or Nigeria that has the money but has dropped the idea, and then South Africa that is running a deficit budget for several years is, you know, adamant that it wants to go nuclear. If you start a nuclear reactor today, the first watt of energy will not come out until 10 to 15 years if you are lucky. It's usually over budget and over time. Mm-hmm. And we are saying, why do that when we have seen in the last couple of years in this country Renewable energy rolling at 300 megawatts on budget, on time, very cheap. You know, and we have an urgent imperative in this country for immediate energy. So I would say the world lacks the political will to do the right thing. And that is why we are not seeing great changes happening as desired. The technology exists. It's just the lack of political will due to vested interests that control the political arena. I would like to just uh, speak on that issue. I don't want to harbor on it too long, but there is this discussion, especially when you speak to um, people who, ha- are con- who are kind of the converted, uh, in the sense where they feel that uh, um, you know the, 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 the idea of uh, um, renewable energy is not something that uh, would be sustainable. It's something that uh, you know uh, is, is, is not is not an, is not an option or solution, a long term solution, uh, as they yeah. see it, and we should find other alternatives to renewable energy. What would you say? Uh, speak to us about perhaps some of the successes of using renewable energy as a viable alternative elsewhere in the world. It is. I mean, look at Germany. It's a classic example. Germany, uh, 
was the age-old, long proponent of nuclear coal, heavy industry requiring heavy energy. Germany, a couple of years ago, started switching off its nuclear reactors and coal power plants and moved to renewable. They did a rooftop revolution, which we have articulated and presented to the, as Greenpeace, presented to the Ministry of Energy and National Planning as well, uh, three years ago. We call it the Advanced Energy Revolution. Where we are saying, considering the amount of sunlight and sun rays that come in South Africa, why can't every rooftop in South Africa be an energy generating point? But to do that, you need smart reverse metering system. You need to draw up a compensation plan for people. ESCOM is saying they need 2,000 megawatts of energy to avoid load shedding. 2,000 megawatts is what 40,000 households can provide in Joburg or Cape Town. If everyone has a solar panel, a solar panel on the roof, Germany is doing it, a cold country, heavy industry, and it's working. So I, mean, I don't know what logic the, the critics of this are saying that it wouldn't work. But it's working in a cold country. Finland is 80% renewable in a cold country. Norway, moving towards 100%, 80 to 90, 100% renewable. It is the new trend because people have done the benefit analysis and say this is a, a win-win because if you have a rooftop revolution, people who used to be on grants now are earning income because they're generating energy. Therefore, you reduce state expenditure on grants and more people are paying tax into the system. That's the only, the major reason Angela Merkel of Germany told Greenpeace why they considered renewable energy. It wasn't from the environmental perspective, it was from the state cost-benefit analysis that it dropped down massively the people under German social grants overnight and yet generated more energy into the system. In the U.S., is the largest renewable energy sector is the largest job-creating sector for the last three years. So it is a winnable solution. It is feasible. The technology exists. Like I said, the only thing bringing us back, holding us down in this part of the world is the political will because of vested interests. Uh, Michael, uh, we are fast running out of time, but I would love to. Uh, we would love to have you back again to hash out some of the other issues because <laughs> I think this, the, the spectrum of the things that we're discussing is so broad. And I think this, uh, especially when we speak about energy, is something that's quite close to our hearts as South Africans because I'm not sure if you're aware, but we're currently facing the challenge of load shedding due to um, uh, the grid, the the the, the um, energy grid being placed under uh, pressure. So I think this is something that South African government can really look at if they're not already in terms of uh, alternate energy we've seen the successes as you mentioned in germany and in other parts yeah. of the world where renewable energy has been uh, a viable alternative and is being seen as a viable mm -hmm. alternative so we'd love to have can, you back can I, can I can i just quickly tell you mm -hmm. in 2010 the world bank said that the centralized grid system in africa is no longer feasible because mm -hmm. it's expensive to maintain and takes a long time to roll out to community rural areas Mm -hmm. What we need is a decentralized system based around a mix of renewables mm -hmm. so that people can feed in and get compensated for excess feeding that, uh, of energy they are putting in. Mm -hmm. In that way, the whole country wins. It's a win for the individual, it's a win for the state, and a win for industry mm -hmm. so that you don't have this load shedding. 
Once again, Michael O'Brien Onyeka, uh, Executive Director of Greenpeace Africa. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we do hope to have you back soon. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. All the much. best. And, and good evening. Have a nice evening. Bye.